This is Dart Adams, and this is Dart Against Humanity, episode number 21. Recently, I had someone on Twitter tell me that I needed to stick to my lane. Uh, Specifically, what the conversation was about was they, of course, didn't agree with something that I tweeted about the Red Sox and the Yankees. Now, what I tweeted wasn't erroneous. I uh, didn't use false information. I I wasn't wrong in what I said. It's just that since it was taking an anti-Yankee slant, they decided that they didn't agree with it. And of course, it was it was started because the Red Sox had lost the game to the um Houston Astros, and DJ Duop posted a picture of himself wearing a Houston Rockets cap saying, hey, Red Sox. And, of course, I came at him talking about, you know, you have to rely on the Astros to beat the Red Sox when the Yankees can't and the Yankees lose games against. And I listed the teams that are you know, at the bottom of the AL, you know, not doing well, that they have a bad record against. So there's a guy who followed me, who I don't follow, and this happens a lot, apparently, who said that, well, the Yankees record against the Astros is seven and seven. So and I'm like, that's has no bearing on what I was talking about, about doo-wop using the Astros as a means to get at the Red Sox when it's still eight or nine games back. And they're going to lose the division and they need to worry about the A's who are right behind them. And now they're a game and a half back. So that happens. And of course, when people don't, when people follow you and you don't follow them, they think they can write slick shit on their um, timelines as if you're not smart enough to read these people's timelines, knowing that they follow you and you don't follow them back. So he wrote something to the effect of Dart Adams knows a lot about music and he's one of the most knowledgeable guys about other fields, but he needs to stick to his stick to his lane and like because he doesn't know baseball. And my response was actually I'm a baseball historian. The thing is with the kind of person I am, I have an addictive personality, which is why I don't even fuck with drugs or alcohol or anything of that nature. When I get into something, I get all the way into it. I'm the same person who researches things exhaustively before I write about them. Because I don't want to leave any any chance that I left something on the table. Or I didn't do a good job of what I do. I'm the type of person who writes things and then reads them back as someone who hates me and is waiting for me to fuck up. That's how seriously I take everything. So, 40 years ago, I mentioned this. 40 years ago is when I got, when I became a Red Sox fan. The 1978 Red Sox season where they went uh, 99 and 64. And on October 2nd, 1978, when they lost the one game playoff to the Yankees, which I saw with my own eyes, which I remember, which made me not only become a Red Sox fan, but made me hate the Yankees for the rest of my um my damn life and I then had to learn the history of the Boston Red Sox 
Uh, the Red Sox are, I believe, in their 117th season. Uh, so 100 years ago was the 1918 season when they won the World Series. And they first won the World Series in 1903, which was 115 years ago. And yes, I know baseball inside and out. The dead ball era, Mordecai, Three Finger Brown, all that shit. Uh, you know, everything you can imagine. Like, the Negro Leagues. I have a, one of my favorite books is a book called um, Only the Ball Was White, which I've read exhaustively because it's one of the few books that actually has um, statistics from the Negro Leagues actually included in it. Uh, I have one of my favorite books was Howard Bryant shut out. Howard Bryant is a Bostonian. The reason I actually bought the book is I needed to explain or understand better why the Red Sox couldn't get over the hump um, versus the Yankees. And I bought it right after the 2003 series, um, the ALCS. I was a kid who, when I was young, I played a game called um, Micro League Baseball on my um, Commodore 64. It was a game that electronically, it recorded stats and went through probabilities. And it took all of the historic baseball teams of the past. And it had their stats and chances and all these other different frames of reference and then they matched them up they matched them up against other historic teams and you had discs so you had entire discs where you could have um historic teams you could have um teams from 1984 85 86 87 going forward every year they updated and since it was programmed in basic uh what my brothers and i used to do was we would program teams and put them on a disc and put them in. So in order to do that effectively, you have to know baseball inside and out. So I was having the 1918, 1919 Boston Red Sox and and the the old Cincinnati Red Stockings. And I was putting together like old Negro League teams like the uh, the Indianapolis Clowns. The Hill, like Hilldale squads, um, the teams that had uh, Josh Gibson, and and like everybody you could imagine, um, Double Duty, um, Leon Day, like all Martin DeHigo, anybody you could imagine, Cool Papa Bell. And what I would do is we would take I would find all these teams, historic Negro League teams, and I would just put them into the whole system and have them play because, you know, of course, they weren't recorded. They, they weren't they weren't put in the system initially when you got the discs. So in order to do that, this is you have to know you have to pretty much be a nerd. You have to pretty much know baseball inside and out and I was doing this at ages eight nine and ten so I actually wrote about baseball before I switched and started writing about basketball before I switched from basketball and started writing about hip-hop and rap and what have you 
So that was between 2002 and 2004. So to have somebody try to pigeonhole me and say, you should just stick to music. That's something that I've never gone along with. That's something that I fought against forever in my like whole time writing, being a journalist, what have you. I don't like the idea that people think I'm one thing or I'm one dimensional. Uh, I just never accepted that. So that left a bad taste in my mouth. And I was really pissed off about that whole thing, you know, as as I should be like you. It's sad that we have to fight to not be pushed into these little boxes, these categories. And we have to fight to be seen as whole people. That's just not something I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of. I just don't understand that whole thing. But the other part of it is that when I typically have conversations or exchanges with people about any anything... You have to keep in mind that you can't argue with everybody or go back and forth with people because everybody doesn't warrant this level of energy from you. And the reason is because depending on the conversation, depending on the subject matter, uh, we have to deal with levels of knowledge bases. Not everybody has the same knowledge base going in not everybody is the same mastery or knowledge of a specific subject and we have to understand that a lot of times we have to understand that you have an expert and you have a layman and the contact or the conversation between a layman and an expert doesn't always go well and a lot of that happens when I'm having rap discussions on um, Twitter. For instance, the big long discussion that we were having has to do with, it had to do with, actually, I think it's still going on. It's like in day four or something stupid. Uh, the conversation that we were having, the, the longest discussion about recently is Ether. Because Ether is not as great as people think it is. Uh, was Ether effective? Absolutely. Did Nas win the battle versus Jay-Z? Absolutely. Is anybody trying to say he didn't? No. Is anybody trying to say that Ether wasn't the effective piece that forced Jay-Z into making Super Ugly, which backfired on him and ultimately made him relinquish Eh, fuck it. You you won. His own mother told him he went too far. So yes, he did lose that battle. Yes, Ether was the song that did it. Was Ether good? No. Ether was neither delivered well lyrically. Uh, song wise, structurally not great. The beat super mediocre. Uh. Did the barbs hit Jay? Sure. But was it on the level of a no Vaseline or of the bitch in you? No. Was it on the level of a Jack the Ripper? Absolutely not. 
when you think of like the top or the top tier of the elite diss tracks in hip hop slash rap history, it's nowhere near the top. To the Break of Dawn by LL Cool J, no. Linda Tripp by Company Flow, no. Second round knockout, which is it like maybe the second tier, and due to when it came out, people think it's better than it was. It's not even up there. I'd say second round knockout was better executed than um than Ether on every level. But Ether stands out because people didn't expect Nas to come back that hard in a battle against Jay-Z, who was on top of the world. Takeover is a great song and a great diss track. Because, and to be fair, a lot of stuff he said in Takeover was factual. It was at the time. And I salute Jay-Z and thank him because he brought Nas back from the brink. Nas was done. Nas was making trash albums. Nas wasn't put, put, using his whole ass. He was half-assing it a lot of the time. So when people like myself or Andres Hale or Fonte or Jay or Jay Smooth cast like that, are like, wait, we can we can actually say the truth about about that record. And mind you, even back then, I knew plenty of people that were like, yo, this record wasn't that great. But Mob Rule, Mob Rule had said, yeah, Ether's the shit. And we were like, eh, it did the job, but it's not great. But we had to be quiet because the mob had spoken. And you can't go against the mob. You can't. When you have a whole bunch of people going in a wave, that sentiment that they have, that consensus that they've come up with, you can't fight it. I've seen plenty instances where something didn't warrant the love or the the status that it got from the consensus. Perfect example. A lot of you don't even know know what I'm talking about. There was a battle that Breeze Ever Flowing had. Uh, I think it was versus Jack Eye to Motormouth. And in the battle, Jack Eye's rhymes were insane. His round was crazy. And then when it came to Breeze's round, he was all over the place, but he said, You're not the man. You the weakest motherfucker in your crew, like motherfucking Aquaman. And when he said that, it was a rap. The crowd went crazy. That one line ended up winning him the battle. Everything he said afterwards didn't matter. Just the Aquaman line just did it. And also because everybody knew that the crew that he was a part of that like he was one of the like low tier members of that crew, and everybody there were other more famous members of the of, of homie's crew. So when he said that, and of course Breeze was from um, Stronghold, and he was like seen as like the captain of Stronghold, and they had some serious cats on their side. Um, Poison Pen salute, 
And it was just, after he said that line, it was a wrap. You couldn't hear anything else. I believe this the footage is even up on YouTube. But it was one of those situations. So people with discerning ears who are considered knowledgeable and have discerning taste will agree that yes, Ether was not as good as Takeover, but due to the time and due to the just a whole bunch of factors and the fact that people didn't think that Jay-Z was going to lose the battle or didn't think that Nas had the heart to come back with such ferocity that he was he didn't have a shot to win the battle. So the fact that Nas climbed over the wall, period, forget that he fell down the other side and he didn't scale it. You know, it didn't matter. He, the fact he made it over the wall was enough to win. And then Jay-Z, of course, you know, went with uh, just the fact that I feel like it was just a brazen attempt by Nas. So he like emotionally responded and he is missed the mark. Super Ugly missed the mark. Super Ugly was not a calculated, well done uh, song like Takeover was. Maybe had Jay-Z waited and done that again. You know, he the, the outcome would have been different. But no, he went direct like, I have to make Super Ugly now because the streets are talking. And, you know, it was a big New York thing. And of course, we know what happened. But the conversation that people who knew what they were talking about, who were adults at the time it happened, were all agreeing that, yeah, Ether wasn't that great. And the Ether beat was terrible. And... There's times when this happened and didn't match up well with uh, historic diss tracks and all this other stuff. And yes, and of course, people popped up in the timelines and said that we're crazy for saying this and we're trying to uh, erase history. They always say this. We're trying to erase history. No, we're not trying to fucking erase history. What we're actually doing is telling the truth about history. And a lot of people just aren't receptive to that because saying these things is like going against their belief system and it like hurts them to think that, oh, no, I might have to think differently about something that I've held in high regard for the past, what, 15 years, more than 15 years. That's not a long time. Well, depending on how old you are, it's a long time because it's going against your childhood. I was a grown-ass man when this whole thing happened. I think it was like 27, 28, you know, maybe 26. So my perspective is completely different from somebody who this happened when they were 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 18, you know? But yeah, that was one of the things that happened, and it's, con- and it's hilarious because people were just jumping in the time. I was like, you're crazy, and I'm like, Really, I'm not. I'm seeing things completely clearly, and I've had plenty of time to think about this, and I felt the same way when it happened back in 2001 or whatever that I do now in 2018. And as much time has passed, I've had more thoughts about it that make more sense, and I can I can present that point way clearer, which is what 
Andreas did, which is what uh, Fonte did, and a whole bunch of other people from my uh, my age group and slightly below it. So you always have to deal with your, the audience's knowledge level of something because they don't remember things or and experience things the same way we did. And this is one of the things that happens with um they call it the uh the generation gap. No. It's a chasm. And the chasm happens to happens happens to come when you're dealing with experience and understanding of a subject. Because if you don't have that experience with the subject or the subject matter, or you don't have that knowledge base, we're going to be at an impasse simply because I'm going to have to explain so much to you that you don't know. But you're going to feel like I'm trying to like, like I'm being an asshole, I'm being condescending. No. In order for us to have this conversation, we have to be up to speed. It's pretty much like I got to sit you down and tell you what happened in the first two seasons of a TV show before we can have a talk about the show. Because you jumped in season three, episode six, and you're telling me about the show when I've seen it from the beginning. And not only have I seen it from the beginning, but I know the show's creators. So now you're interpreting things a completely different way that I have not only put, but also because I've, I know more about the show than you do. But because I'm telling you this, you think I'm being the asshole. It's, it's a lot of perspective stuff going on. And um, speaking of that, with perspective and understanding something, sometimes this comes as a, it's a detriment Perfect example is um, when I watch Netflix series of Marvel shows. And of course, I started reading Marvel comics in 1978. Same year I started, I, I became a fucking Red Sox fan. Same year I became a Celtics fan. Same year I became a, a Patriots fan. You know, 1978 is a year I learned how to read. And all these things began for me. So all my fandoms began. All my passions really began. Of course, that includes comic books. And again, I got into Marvel. DC had the cartoons on TV, but Marvel was my was my love that I read. So when you have a show like a Luke Cage or Daredevil or the new show that just had its second season, Iron Fist you have a completely different connection to the source material than most other people who weren't kids reading about, you know, Power Man and Iron Fist, who didn't read Luke Cage back in the day, you know, who don't know who Heroes for Hire are or or weren't immersed in, like, the Nightwing restorations or the Daughters of the Dragons or or the Sons of the Tiger you know, and then you have the people now who read the immort- the new run of the Immortal Iron Fist, you know, with the seven immortal weapons and what have you. But the point I'm making is that one of the best things that I saw recently is what um, 
Marvel's Netflix universe did with retooling a show with a character that was universally panned. The casting of Danny Rand, Finn Jones, was not a fan favorite. And in that first season, the fight scenes, it looked like Finn Jones was fighting three-fourths time, sometimes half-time, where everybody else was going full-time. You had uh, the woman who plays Colleen Wing, I believe her name is what, Jessica Fenwick, and she's great. And there are scenes in the first season where she's talking about how uh, Danny Rand is the best martial artist she's ever seen, but the eye test tells you differently. The eye test tells you she's better than him. The eye test tells you that the guy who lost the Iron Fist should have been Iron Fist. The eye test tells you that the opponents he fights are much better martial artists than he is. And you often are watching the screen like, why, why, why isn't that person, you know, the, the head of the show? How come she's not the focus of the show? They heard and they responded. When you do the de- when you come to the defenders, we have um, Luke Cage take down Danny Rand a peg several times in conversations. Uh, Danny Rand gets captured in the defenders, and we don't miss him. And I think they did that on purpose. It's the thing. It's, it's kind of like um when you're babysitting a baby. And you hit yourself and the baby laughs. And you're like, oh, they like this. So you hit yourself again and the baby laughs some more. So you keep doing that. They kind of did a they did a good job at like trying to like make Danny uh less annoying. Like they had Danny um feature in Luke Cage last season, and people were like, hey, you know, I don't I don't mind him as much after like defenders like he doesn't suck as much as he used to. But when they did this season of Iron Fist, they realized that we need to do something different. We need to listen to the fan base and we need to do something different. And what they did was they cut out all the bullshit. They focused on different people. They made the smart choice, I guess, that they responded to what happened when um when Misty Knight and uh and Colleen Wing were together for the short time they were together in um, Luke Cage season two. And they decided to elaborate on that. You know, they had them run around together, had them be a little team. It was kind of like they it was like Nightwing restorations before it actually happens. Like the Daughters of the Dragon before it actually happens. I really hope that they go go ahead with Daughters of the Dragon. But the big thing that they did was I didn't expect this casting of Alice Eve as... Um, Typhoid Mary, or they're going to call her Bloody Mary, to work out as well as it did. I didn't think Alice Eve was going to be that good. I didn't think she was going to be able to pull off this role this well. And she was so good that she needs to be in the Daredevil season three that's coming up, which they've teased and it looks really good. But the way. Oh, and one of the best things that they did, too, was they reduced the number of episodes. So it's not 13 episodes, it's 10. And we get more into the action quicker. Uh, The storylines are way better to follow. Uh, Everything is better. I feel like the pacing is great. 
there's not a lot of things that drag on. Um, even the, 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 the siblings who the first season, I just understand what their purpose was. They worked somehow. So I really loved what they did. I feel like as much as Jessica Jones regressed, Jessica Jones season one was probably one of my top favorite seasons of any Netflix show. They had probably had the best villain overall with um, Kilgrave. Uh, number two was probably uh, Kingpin on Daredevil. But the regression from season two to season one to Jessica Jones is equal to the progression from season one to season two of Iron Fist. I'm really looking forward to what they're going to do with Daredevil to season three. Because I think that's going to be the thing that really puts it over the top. Um, and of course, I think I've talked about this before. I didn't enjoy the Punisher, the Punisher season at all. I just thought there was a, it was going nowhere. There was a bunch of characters that needed to die sooner. A bunch of things that needed to happen sooner. It just dragged on. And I really preferred when... Punisher was in the Daredevil series, really. Um, so, a th- recent thing that happened was um, Mac Miller passing. I, I've been asked, how come I haven't said anything about Mac Miller? How come I haven't done a post about Mac Miller? How come I haven't said more about him? And here's a simple fact. There are people... That feel the need to interject themselves in everything. There are people that feel the need to comment on everything. There are people that feel the need to have their thoughts on every subject or every event need to be heard. I don't agree with that. Now, earlier I was mad that somebody told me to stay in my lane. And I think one of the reasons why I was told to stay in my lane by somebody is as if at age 43, I already know what the fuck that is. If there's a time for me to stay in my lane and be quiet and say nothing because it's not going to be effective or I don't know enough about a subject to speak on it that way. It was in the case of the death of Mac Miller. Um, I wasn't a big Mac Miller fan. I think I heard Blue Slide Park twice and I wasn't into it, but I heard like his later music and I thought, oh, he's getting better. But I don't really have any of his albums in my iTunes. I know a lot of people that loved him and respected him and felt like he was a little brother and, you know, really genuinely felt hurt. And pained when he passed away. So when they had their things to share on them, I RT'd them. When they had their mixes, you know, their favorite Mac Miller joints, I shared them. I personally didn't have a Mac Miller story. And people were like, well, everybody has a Mac Miller story and everybody loved Mac. And people were waiting for Dart Adams to come up with his Mac Miller story or, or his favorite Mac Miller memory. I don't have any. He was on a he worked with a whole bunch of people that I consider friends and people I respect. But me personally, 
I had nothing to offer. So you know what I did? I shut the fuck up. Which is what you should do. So that's why I said nothing. Because quite frankly, I had nothing to say. I felt that his loss was terrible and unfortunate. And it sucks that anybody who respects the art and the history of hip hop and becomes an artist who grows with every single project is lost. That's a fucking tragedy. But plenty of people had said that already. Way better than me. So I didn't need to say anything. It was covered by people way smarter and way more eloquent than I was at the time. That's all there is to it. And a lot of times it's ego that doesn't allow you to see that. But when you're my age, you don't really give a fuck. That shit is trash. Just do what's right or do what fits for the moment or it's going to be evident. And I feel like that's just one of the things that was evident with that whole thing. Shut up. So, it's September 12th right now. Um, it's feeling like fall already, even though this is supposed to be like the last throws of summer. I feel like summer is pretty much over. We have the um, there's tropical storms coming. Uh, so, there's been a lot of rain. It's really cold. I've been wearing pants. And I did not plan on having to wear pants yet. I was still had my like cargo shorts lined up, you know. I still had some outfits lined up, you know. Now it's like when it gets cold, you know, now I gotta start actually dressing. You know, layers and shit. Long sleeve shirts. You know, it's getting like cuffing season weather, which is bananas. And I have, and it's weird because whenever that happens, it kind of feels like it changes my mood. So when the sun's out and everybody's out and the yams is out, life is completely different than when the fall comes and, you know, now you got to have your pea coat. Now my goatee might have to turn back to a beard and... It was also weird these this past couple of days because Drake was in town for what like three fucking straight days, and there were people I couldn't find. Like as in, I know where you are on Monday, Tuesday where you at, Wednesday where you at, Thursday where the fuck you at, Friday there you are again. It was like one of those things, and also this also coincided with like the cold weather, that whole block of like rain and shit like that. You're like, damn, I could go for some pho. Hey, you want to come where, where they at? Where where, they, where these people go? Why? Oh, n- motherfuckers ain't asking, answering texts now. Or, or they just, they went, they went, they went silent on IG. I, I don't see, w- w- they ain't tweeting? 
and y'all ain't tweeting. Some of y'all just straight up disappeared when Drake came to town. Um, 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 you know what I'm trying to say. Fuck was you at? Fuck was you doing? Anyway. So, I've been doing a lot of writing lately. How come this whole fucking talk, I feel like I'm doing a goddamn stand-up, um, a stand-up special or some shit. Uh, but yeah, I've do, been doing a lot of writing lately. The things I have coming up are all, um, related to, you know, September. Uh, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of the release of, um, a classic game. It was made for Nintendo by Victor Kai. Uh, the game, of course, was called Gogol 13 Top Secret Episode. So I was doing research trying to figure out when the actual release date was. And I was trying to find out release dates for other games. You know, just so I can nail it down. And what I was finding was ship dates. And the crazy thing is that depending on the time of the year, especially for like 1988, you have to know inside and out what you're looking for to even understand that what you're seeing is a ship date not a release date because again video games in 1988 were released on Tuesdays why? because VHS tapes were released on Tuesdays and albums released on Tuesdays and when these things were all shipped they were all shipped on the same trucks okay listen they were all shipped on the same trucks to stores so you have your ship date and then they arrive and then you stock them up and then you have their sale date, which is the Tuesday. However, when the end of the year comes, a lot of times the sale date changes because for Christmas time, the same people that are going to buy the album are going to the mall to buy the CD or buy the video game aren't the same people that would typically go and buy on the Tuesday. For video games, a lot of times the ship date changes because now they're going to put the shit out on Friday, on the weekend, because parents and people who aren't familiar with buying games are going to buy. So that's why the ship date will change, especially right after um, Thanksgiving. So when I'm looking at like release dates for things like... um. What's a game that came out Tuesday, 19, I mean, December 1988? Oh, so if I'm thinking of a game like, I don't know, uh, fucking Bionic Commando. You know, or if I'm looking for a game like, what's another game that came out December 1988? Yes, this is off the top of my head. I actually know this shit. Um, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest. So these are games that came out December 1988. What's the game that came out like right before Thanksgiving, like uh, around like October-ish 1988? Oh, 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 um, fuck. Uh, Super Mario Bros. 2. All right. So that came out still on a Tuesday. Because after Thanksgiving going into December was different. But this is what I'm explaining, that 
when you research, you have to know more than just the simple shit that you're looking for. You have to know things inside and out, know details that will allow you to understand what you're looking for. It's kind of like being a fucking archaeologist. And when you're a journalist, you these are skills that you develop because of repetition and putting your and and doing the work and getting your hands dirty. This isn't shit that I expect somebody who just jumped online looking up you know a fact to know because the fact of the matter is you're going to see a name or you're going to see a date and you're going to accept that date. You're not going to know that date is the European release date because you haven't done enough research. You're not going to know that release date actually is a Thursday or a Friday, so it's actually the Japanese release date. You're not you're going to look up a date, and you're going to find a date, and you're not going to realize that that date is actually the UK release date, which is a day before because they release because of time difference, they release things on Monday. You're not going to know that. I'll know that because I've done the fucking research several times over. I I dedicate enough man hours to this to know these things. You know? So it's like I have to deal with that level of knowledge and work and then turn around and argue with somebody on Twitter who doesn't understand how deep it goes. And that's where the fucking problem happens. Because somebody tries to challenge you and they're like, no. This is like if you walked into a fucking dojo and challenged a grandmaster to a duel when you don't know fucking martial arts. But you think you know because you've seen, you've seen martial arts movies. And this is what I deal with and what a lot of people and journalists and people that have lived the culture and been immersed in it for 40 fucking years have to deal with on a daily basis. You can't fuck with me. And if I tell you that, you're going to ask questions like, how would you get verified? What's this dude talking about? Like, I have weapons older than you. Shut up. (sighs) But yeah. um, One of the things that kills me the most, too, is that I spent hours before this just studying different things. One of the things that I was studying was... uh, Chess matches. I was studying chess matches, great chess matches. And one of the things I was studying was uh, there's this 21 move, uh, just brilliant obliteration that Bobby Fischer did to a guy who ended up a grandmaster not too long afterwards himself back in December 1963. And the crazy thing is 10 moves in, it just seemed like a normal chess match. It was symmetry on both sides. So it looked like an even match. So when you watch that board and move 10, 
you will have no idea that by move 21 that the other guy was going to just yield and give up because he knew that he was going to lose in an embarrassing manner because he made three consecutive errors that was that were going to lead to him just losing in a way that was not befitting someone who was on their way to being a a, a grandmaster and it's crazy because that same year that same um tournament the same the US chess tournament 1963-64 uh Bobby Fischer went 11 for 11 he didn't lose a match and no one's been able to replicate that feat to this day and the reason I studied this is because I was studying the concept of beating somebody so thoroughly at something or outthinking somebody so thoroughly and so completely that they fucking yield because they know defeat, a public defeat is coming. So you're probably thinking to yourself, why would you study something like this and what is it analogous to in your life that would make you even think to search this out or study these things for hours on end instead of sleeping? Well, here's the thing. They sleep, I prepare. It's like the joke that people always say about Batman. Bat, you give Batman prep time. But here's the thing they don't understand. Batman preps for situations that don't fucking exist. In case it happens, you can't beat a motherfucker like that. The man prepares for wars that haven't been fought yet. He prepares for wars that are theoretical in nature. Which brings me to another point. At about 5 a.m., I was watching... uh, Infinity War. And one of the big things that people like to talk about Infinity War is that they blame Star-Lord for, you know, not being able to defeat Thanos. I don't blame Star-Lord. Because Doctor Strange said that he saw 14 million and 65 different scenarios and they won one, right? Bam, Star-Lord comes up with a plan. They put the plan in action. The shit's going well. It's working. Star-Lord flies in. Wham. Starts popping shit. To Thanos. Right? Nebula. Comes over. Nebula starts talking about. Oh shit. You know. Where's my sister? Then. Fast forward to homegirl. Mantis. Talking about he feels lost. And of course, you know, Star-Lord's still kind of slow. He's like, oh, what did you lose? Blah, 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 blah. Then the shit starts sinking in. Now, since Doctor Strange done seen 14 millions and 65 different fucking um, outcomes, he should have known that this was going to happen. So he should have fucking disappeared Star-Lord or... Nebula could have shut the fuck up or he could have shut Nebula up or he could have told Mantis to not say anything or he could have blocked Mantis from talking while she while she was trying to calm down, calmed him down while they were trying to take the gauntlet off. And it was Star-Lord's plan, so I don't blame Star-Lord, not his fault. He had a human reaction.
which he should have had. And if he didn't want him to have the human reaction, you should have known that was going to happen. You should have got him the fuck out of there. So, yeah, these are things that I think about. And this happens because I'm whole brained. So I have no idea what I'm going to name this episode, but I know it's going to be a fucking reference to either a film or a book or maybe a book from a film. Mm. So I'm going to name I'm going to name this episode after a book, a fictional book from a film. And I need somebody to tell me what the fucking book is and who wrote it. All right. Um, 